Good morning. My name is Dan Miller. I'm one of the elders here, and it's my privilege to open up Jonah chapter 2 with you, so please turn there. Your apology reveals your heart. You've heard a good apology, right? Come on now. Like, maybe in all your life you've at least heard one good apology. The person who hurts you admits guilt straight away and then they show that deep down in their heart they want to change. Here's the best part. A good apology like that often leads to a stronger relationship. But for every one of those good apologies, you've probably heard a lot of bad ones. No admission of guilt, just excuses, maybe even tears over being caught, but no hope for change. And I think it's it's bad that such an apology is often more offensive than the offense. But I don't think that's the worst part. Maybe it's my pride talking, but I think the worst part is that often a bad apology can be mistaken as a good apology. Tears trick us. Fancy words can fool us. But God can't be fooled. Today we're going to look at what I think is a bad apology offered to God by, of all people, one of his own prophets, Jonah. And from his example, my hope is that today we all get a little better at identifying bad apologies and making good apologies. Because Jonah's sin in chapter 1 was evident, but now it appears here in the belly of a fish that Jonah is taking Ryan's advice from last week and running towards God. But I think Jonah here is actually showing us how not to run towards God. So let me read chapter 2, the first nine verses. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet... You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. 
Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. What did you think? Well, I think the first way we see how not to run towards God is to elevate yourself. I want to point out a few ways God, Jonah does that to God in this apology. Now, don't get me wrong. Verses 1 and 2 sound good. They sound like Jonah's crying out to God. He said, I called out. I was distressed. But look at verse 3. Jonah says, You cast me into the deep. And in verse 4, Jonah says, I am driven away from your sight. Is that really what happened to Jonah in chapter 1? Jonah wasn't driven away from the Lord. In chapter 1, verse 3, he ran away. He quit. Or he tried to. Then, God sent a storm after him, and he fell asleep, and he refused everything but death. And only after the sailors tried everything else, they gave Jonah his wish and threw him overboard. So was Jonah cast into the deep? He cast himself. In other words... In chapter 1, we saw Jonah's actions proclaim a lot of guilt. But here in chapter 2, we're seeing Jonah's words seem to proclaim a lot of innocence. I think this gives us just a little peek into his heart. What makes this so subtle, I think is that Jonah quotes a lot of scripture here. I mean, there are references here to Psalm 42, 88, 118, and more. In fact, the very first word Jonah speaks are from Psalm 120. Are you familiar with it? If you're not, you might not notice that Jonah has changed it just a little bit. Let me explain. See, Psalm 120 begins in this way. To Yahweh, or the Lord, out of my distress I called. To the Lord, out of my distress I called. The emphasis is on God. But what does Jonah say here? I called to the Lord, out of my distress. The words are moved around. To put the emphasis just a little bit more on Jonah. And that might seem little. But I think it's not so little as you might think. Because Jonah's apology so far might sound like he's making it about God. But I think he bends it here just a little bit. To make it a little more about himself. 
You might think I'm exaggerating or making a big deal out of something small, but let's keep looking. Look at verse 1. Jonah says he's dragged down to Sheol, or the grave. Verses 3 and 5, he says he's being dragged down in the sea. And in verse 6, he's at the bottom, the literal bottom of everything. He's in a fish. All of this is a huge part of Jonah's prayer. It's where he's spending these first verses. And the emphasis is not on his guilt at all. It's on his pain. And that is a little bit more significant. Have you ever heard an apology like this before? Have you ever felt like this to God? I mean, you've done wrong, clearly, and you're suffering for it. And the suffering part is all you seem to think about and talk about. Talk about the punishment and the pain, but not admit guilt. What does that reveal about the human heart? Well, for Jonah, I think it's revealing that he's not maybe so interested in lowering himself before God as he's interested in elevating himself. I mean, not just how he got into the mess, but how he hopes to get out. We already saw a bit of this in verse 4 where Jonah said, Again, I shall look on your holy temple. He assumes it. Now add on verse 6 where Jonah says, Yet you brought my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Add on to that verse 7 where Jonah says, When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And finally, verse 9, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. The eyes have it. Again, these are mostly psalm clippings. And they're meant to elevate God. But who is Jonah elevating? I think he's elevating himself a bit. I mean, he's racked up quite a list of offenses in chapter 1. But he seems to think that he can just kind of walk back into God's favor in chapter 2. But did Jonah actually remember God in chapter 1? Did he cry out as he was quoting from the Psalms? Did he sacrifice? Did he pay anything? Well, I don't want to be too hard. Jonah, he did remember God in the storm of chapter 1 verse 9. When he said this to the sailors. I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. But so many of his other actions that we learned about last week, they they don't demonstrate a fear of God. They demonstrate self-interest. Even in chapter 1 verse 12, where Jonah sacrifices himself to the sea. He doesn't even really mention God. He just hopes in throwing himself overboard 
that perhaps the sea will calm down. That's his apology. And I hope you can see that Jonah's apology is revealing a conflicted heart. I mean, he sounds like he's kind of trying to lower himself in humility, but he just can't quite seem to do it. But as sad as that is, there's something, I think, even more sad here. Because when people elevate themselves in their apologies, guess who gets lowered down? Everybody else. Not just other people, but God. That's the second point in your outline, and I won't reread the text, but I want to look a little bit more at it. Let's look first at the other people in the story. Jonah makes them into villains. Verse 8, Jonah says this, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. It means if you worship fake (laughs) or worthless gods, you don't stand a chance at God's love. So who's that? Well, We don't know a lot about Nineveh and Assyria yet from the context of the book, though God called them evil in chapter 1. But how about those sailors that we learned about last week in chapter 1? We have some dirt on them. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 5. Look there if you have it. In chapter 1, verse 5, they are crying out, literally, to lowercase gods, when the real God has sent the storm. But look at verse 6. They start to change. Jonah, they cry out, try your God. Ours aren't working. And though Jonah does not regard God in his response, in chapter 114, the sailors do. They say, let us not perish. You've done, Lord, as it pleased you. Jonah ignores them. But as he goes overboard in complete abandonment of his role as God's prophet, these sailors worship God. So, are these sailors paying regard to vain idols and forsaking their hope of steadfast love? No! In fact, they show us exactly how to apologize to God. God hears them, and it would seem God delivers them, because the storm stops. But Jonah, perhaps because he's underwater, pays no mind, He lowers them down in his prayer. But in this, I think, he also lowers down God. Or, as your outline says, he tokenizes God. Let me explain a little bit, because that's kind of a strange word. 
Look at the end of verse 9, where Jonah finishes his apology. And he says this, Salvation belongs to the Lord. I mean, Jonah does say something very good and very true, but it just kind of falls flat. I mean, if Jonah really believed, if he really believed that salvation belonged to the Lord, then why, when the Lord told Jonah to warn Nineveh in chapter 1, you know, a warning that might lead to, I don't know, salvation, why did Jonah run away? And why is he still so closed off to seemingly everybody but himself in chapter 2? That is tokenization. In this case, Jonah's lofty words seem to elevate God, but they just don't match up with what he really seems to be believing. So Jonah's heart, preoccupied, I think, with self-interest, it just kind of leaks out all over the apology. And I sum up his apology in this way. Ready? I'm not a bad person. Not like those bad people over there. So, God, we're, we're okay, right? God appears to be, I think, just a token for Jonah to use and not a God for Jonah to worship and fear and obey. So let me ask you something. If you, if you were God and Jonah was supposed to be your mouthpiece and he quits in the third verse of a book called Jonah... And then he tries to effectively kill himself rather than turn around. And then this is his attempt at running back to you. Would you leave him in there? Or would you set him free? God sets him free. That is what is so surprising. God's reply. Both to Jonah and I think the audience. It's your third point. Let me read verse 10. The Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah. There's a picture. Out upon the dry land. What a reply. God spits him out, advancing his kingdom through Jonah anyway. And I say surprising because I think the original audience of this text, that's Israel, I think if they could read between the lines historically, 
they might see themselves in the face of Jonah. Because Israel loved to quote scripture. And they did the festivals and the sacrifice. But underneath all of that, so many were preoccupied with self-interest. They tokenized God. And so God would hand them over historically to nations just like Assyria. Just like Nineveh. And Israel would then apologize with tears and with scripture. And then many of them would fall right back into self-interest. Just like Jonah. And then, centuries later, Jesus comes. And he was often confronted by Israelites who loved to quote scripture and hold festivals. And underneath all of it, they were preoccupied with self-interest. Some such people were the Jewish scribes and Pharisees. And one day, in Matthew chapter 12, they stand up before Jesus demanding that he show them a sign. You say you're God, prove it. And Jesus' response is surprising. (laughs) The only sign Jesus promises is this. The sign of Jonah. What does that mean? Well, it meant that Jesus, like Jonah, would be placed in the depths of Sheol, like Jonah quoted, which means the grave, for three days, and yet he would be spit out, and he would just continue his mission. And then Jesus kind of spoils Jonah 3 for us in Matthew 12, by telling them that when God let Jonah continue his mission, Nineveh repented. Nineveh actually ran to God. And what's so shocking about this exchange is that Jesus, here in Matthew 12, doesn't really speak to Jonah's character. I think we know it. Instead, he speaks to Israel's character. Because Nineveh would repent when Jonah spoke to them. So the implied question from Jesus... Is this, would this new generation of Israelites, would they run to God if God's son himself came down and spoke to them? Would they run to God? They would not. Instead, they killed him. And they did it Sounding a lot like Jonah. God 
We're not bad. Not like that man on the cross. And yet, Jesus' sign would come true and he would be spit out of the grave like Jonah, but better. Not with a heart of self-interest, but a heart of self-sacrifice. Still offering mercy, not just to the wrong kind of people in Nineveh, but the wrong kind of people in Israel. And the wrong kind of people among every nation. And here we are. Jonah chapter 2 tells us a lot about God and people. That God would extend mercy to people like Jonah and allow them to carry out his mission, even though their apologies at best are insincere. I mean, it's encouraging knowing that God is merciful. But there is a warning in this chapter, and I think it's specifically for the Christian. Jonah's life shows us that you can look like you're running toward God, but actually be running away. Jonah's life shows us the heart behind a bad apology. It's a heart with little room for God. So how does this fly? For those of you who follow Jesus, examine apologies carefully. Especially those that you offer to God. What do your apologies reveal about your heart? Do you see yourself in Jonah? I mean, that's kind of hard, I admit, because Jonah hasn't exactly given us a great apology to go on. And Jesus never needed to apologize. So do we have any kind of a template? Well, how about we revisit the Psalms? You guys already heard it today. In Psalm 51, King David, the most famous Jewish Israelite king aside from Jesus, said this to God after he did something very, very bad. He said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified 
when you judge. Sounds a lot like those sailors, right? That's a good apology. You should read it. It goes on for a bit. I don't know if you ever really apologize to God. I think that's a perhaps a sermon in and of itself. But let's start with looking around us because I think we live in a world that doesn't really like good apologies. So how about... How about when somebody calls you out on something and you know you messed up? It's open and close. You know it. Let's just start there. What do you do? Well, maybe you're familiar with token apologies like these. And and please, react accordingly. If you hear something that drives you nuts, boo me. I can take it. Okay? Ready? Hey! I'm sorry you feel that way. That's blame shifting. How do you feel about hearing that one? How about this one? I didn't mean to do that. That's denying actual guilt. How about this one? Fine. I'm sorry. Are you happy now? I don't even know where to start with that one. Yeah, please boo that one. That's scary. Or kids, how about this one? I'm sorry. (laughs) How authentic is that one? Or how about this one? Yeah, but what had happened was... That's self-justification. And that last one, for me... That feels so good in the moment. Takes the heat off me. But then, praise God, a third party comes in. Or somebody just calmly explains the facts to me. They give me my Jonah chapter 1. Hey, Dan, you said you, said you were going to do that thing. It's, it's written down right here. Why didn't you do it? And then I feel the temperature go up about 50 degrees. And the potential excuses just kind of pile up. Friends, in moments like that, I have learned something. Though it is incredibly hard, there is nothing more freeing than just doing this. You're right. I'm wrong. See how short that is? This sermon could have been so much shorter. (laughs) Why don't we do this all the time? Jonah chapter 2 tells us why we don't do this all the time. It's because self-interest comes naturally. But Jesus came so you could unnaturally love God and other people, including how you apologize 
to them. So when you fail to get it right, let's do this. Just reapply Ryan's application from last week. Run to God. Except, don't just look like you are. Run to the cross, believing in your heart that Jesus really is the greater Jonah. There's one more short application for Christians here. You can actually be strangely comforted by this chapter. Because it tells us that even when people apologize wrongly and they don't change, God isn't fooled. He'll somehow use them for good, even if what I mean by good is that we get a clear picture of how not to run to God. If anything, they will be a good example for us to learn what not to do. So there's hope in that. And if you haven't put your faith in Jesus this morning, this text applies to you too. Because maybe you're like Jonah and you've got quite a list of failures. Sins against God. You might read chapter 1 of Jonah and think, I've done a lot worse than that. Well, though Jonah's life demonstrates perhaps the opposite, please know that your many sins are simply an opportunity for you to draw near to God. Jonah could have done it. You can. But this passage, if you're not a believer, should also concern you. Because maybe you've been far off because you've known people worse than Jonah. And that's why you've just been kind of backing away from God. Or you've been doing the rituals, but nothing more. Please know that people like Jonah don't actually give you a good reason to discount Christianity. They just show you there are many ways to do it wrongly. Don't be fooled. Friends, let us run to Jesus and not just look like we are. And even at our worst moments, when we apologize, let all people see our hearts when they hear us apologize. Let's pray. God, I love even a pretentious prayer. A prayer that sounds big. But Lord, when we sin against you, when we hurt other people, would you help us simply to say this without excuse? I am wrong. You are right. Amen.